There's a number of issues that uh, form barriers to people coming home to the Catholic Church. And sometimes it's, it's because of the particular theologies that they're wed to from their past. One of those is sola scriptura, another is sola fide, both of which we'll talk a bit today on Deep in Scripture. But another issue is dealing with suffering. In other words, if God loves us and we love God and we're faithful, then how sh should we expect God to repay us or to reach into our lives? What about suffering? Is it something to be avoided or is it necessary? We'll talk about that on Deep in Scripture. Well, good afternoon and welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host for this program. Thank you for joining us. I particularly want to extend a, an appreciation for all who listen to the program. And uh, as I've been traveling the last couple of weeks, I've encountered a number of you that listen to the program regularly. And I thank you for that. I thank you for your comments and your encouragement. Uh, my hope is that this program is an encouragement to your walk with Jesus Christ and helps you fall in love with his church. This program is attached to a web page. If you go to chnetwork.org.org, on that page is a link to the Deep in Scripture program, and you can find all kinds of good stuff, old programs. And you can find out about our guests. You can even watch this program live. Uh, so there's all kinds of neat stuff, neat information. And particularly, you can find out about the Coming Home Network and what we do. And you can find out also about our guest for today's program. In fact, we have, for the, uh, this is the first, we have a couple that's joining me by phone, and they're on extensions. They'll join us in a moment. That's Paul and Carol Quist. Uh, Paul was a former Lutheran pastor. He recently began work in the area of marriage and family at Holy Trinity Catholic Church in Spruce Grove, Alberta. They're lifelong Lutherans. Paul and Carol left, dr felt drawn to the Catholic Church by the truth and beauty of her teaching and especially by John Paul's theology of the body. In March of 2004, Paul resigned from 16 years of parish ministry. In June, they sold their home in Edmonton and in July, moved the whole family to Melbourne, Australia, to study at the John Paul II Institute for Marriage and Family. Carol earned a licentiate, STL, in conjunction with the Lateran University in Rome. Paul Carroll and her children, Jonathan, Carl, and Kirsten, were all received into full communion with the Roman Catholic Church on Easter Vigil 2005 at St. Patrick's Cathedral in Melbourne. In fact, we have a comment here from Paul that he writes. This might just give you some background to uh, their journey. He writes, Every day we are thankful for the many undeserved graces that we continually receive through Mother Church. She is a bottomless well of refreshment, an unfathomable, endless source of living water. Her sacraments, her papal encyclicals, her catechism, her canon law, her social teaching, her saints, her religious orders, and lay movements all bring us into deeper relationship with Christ and call us to holiness. There was some sacrifice in our move to the Catholic Church, but it pales in significance to the treasure that is ours. We have discovered the pearl of great price, the fullness of Christ's church, and the deposit of faith. And, and uh, Paul and Carol joined us in a moment. I, all I can say is Ibid. And, of course, that's the reason the Coming Home Network exists, is to help others discover the beauty of this church. Paul and Carol were asked to choose the verses they never saw, maybe particular verses they uh, found that opened their heart to a deeper walk with Christ in his church. And they to chose three. The first, as I mentioned in the opening, addresses that issue of suffering. The second is a familiar verse that many clergy on the journey were confronted by, and that's a verse that deals with sola scriptura. And the last is a section that deals with sola fide. So let me read those. And then we'll take a break, and the quists will join us. The first comes from Colossians 1.24. And I must admit, in my own journey to the church, I do not remember dealing with this passage at all when I was a Protestant. Paul writes, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I complete what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. And then in Paul's first letter to Timothy, 
chapter 3, verse 15. If I am delayed, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and bulwark of the truth. And then finally, also from 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. Have nothing to do with godless and silly myths. Train yourself in godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, and you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. Don't forget to watch the Journey Home program with Marcus Grodi on EWTN. Each week, Marcus meets new guests who have journeyed to the Catholic faith from many backgrounds. Be challenged and encouraged as they witness to how their love for the truth of Jesus Christ has brought them into full communion with the Catholic Church. That's the Journey Home program on EWTN, live on Monday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. If you enjoy the Journey Home television program on EWTN, you'll want to purchase a copy of Marcus Grodi's book, Journey's Home. Journey's Home contains the conversion stories of men and women who, as a result of their surrender to Jesus Christ, heard a call to follow him more completely in the Catholic Church. Many of them were Protestant pastors or missionaries. Others were laymen who, though working in secular jobs, took their calling to serve Christ in the world very seriously. To order your copy of Marcus Grodi's book, Journey's Home, simply visit our website at www.chresources.com or call us toll-free at 1-800-664-5110. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi. I'm joined today by Paul and Carol Quist, who are calling us from near Edmonton. Is that right, Paul? That's right. Well, And it's cold here. (laughs) Have you got snow yet? Oh, yeah. And uh, this morning it was about 15 below Fahrenheit. Whoa! Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But it could have started a month ago. We had a gentle November, so we knew it was coming. (laughs) Well, I think, and and Carol, I I was just in Ottawa and Cumbermere uh, last week filming some Germany home programs for EWTN, and it was shirt sleeve weather, but they said it had already snowed and then melted. Is that true? Yeah, I, I, I don't even know exactly what's been happening out in Ontario, but we had a wonderful <laughs> fall, and it was really warm until just a few days ago, and then we've been getting the even minus 20s and stuff. So it's we've got winter now. Yeah, it could have started a month ago, so we're grateful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey, if I can. Of course. Um, uh, just one quick correction, or two quick corrections. Uh, I was the one who earned the STL, and Carol did a Master's of Theology, and our middle child... He wants to claim that for... (laughs) (laughs) He had to work hard for it. (laughs) Our middle child is Kari, with an I at the end. It probably looked like an L. It's not Carl, but it's Kari. Kari. Well, no, it says that on the on the page. It's just this old eyes of mine. Uh, <laughs> uh, I can relate. You, you know, an I to an L. Uh, yeah. <laughs> when you have to wear cheaters, uh, but, you know, that gets to be the problem. Uh, but it will be corrected on the website, so anyone listening to this program will uh, <laughs> will, will correct all that. <laughs> one thing I, no worries. Uh, one thing I'd love to get into, though, before we get into these texts, and maybe they'll connect with the text anyways, that mm. you mentioned... And and for the audience, Paul and Carol have been on the Journey Home program, so if you want to know more about the full details of the journey, you can go to EWTN.com, and I'm sure you can find the archive of the program. Mm-hmm. But in reading your bio, it reminded me that one of the keys to your journey was reading John Paul's Theology of the Body. Mm-hmm. And that's not always the case for men and women into the church. Often they'll read it afterwards and then fall you know and see the value of that but it was a part of your own journey but i'm guessing uh, here i mentioned that i opened let the cat out of the bag in reading your 
bio, but a lot of our audience probably have no idea what we're talking about when we say John Paul's theology of the body. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, we don't want to, we probably don't have time to get into the whole thing, but how would you describe to the audience what we're talking about? Well, in one of his, John Paul II's, one of his first uh, initiatives as uh, Pope was to uh, give us 123, uh, 120, 29. Thank you, dear. 129 catechesis on the meaning of marriage and sexuality and the human person. And, uh, and all those were collected uh, under the title, The Theology of the Body. And, and we were first exposed to this teaching at a Christopher West conference uh, in Edmonton in November of 2003. And that's, I mean, it wasn't the first step in our becoming Catholic, it was the last step. Uh-huh. When we, it was the clincher. It was the clincher. When we heard this, we knew that we had to become Catholic. And then after that, uh, you know, came the decisions to study at the John Paul II Institute and actually dig into the texts and, and to, to learn the philosophy and theology and so forth. Okay, because I'm one of those that I read his, John Paul's um, presentations that the theology body was eventually based on mm-hmm. when I was on my journey. And I remember reading them, and my reaction to them was positive. Mm-hmm. But I didn't find that much new in them compared mm-hmm. to what we believed as evangelical Christians. Mm-hmm. And you know what I'm saying? It was very yeah. biblical. This yeah. is biblical yeah, yeah. theology yeah. is what it is. Yeah. And I think it's new to many Catholics but maybe not always as new to evangelical Protestants, which is a positive thing, encouraging evangelicals out there to examine John Paul's theology of the body, and you'll find that you're very much on the same page. Mm-hmm. And for us, see, we came out of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in Canada, which is a sister communion of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. Uh-huh. And and part of what was drawing us to the Catholic Church was the confusion yeah. over moral issues and sexuality that had you know arisen in in that communion and and when we when we heard the the pope's teaching and this beautiful and good and true teaching it was very compelling well there's a good example for the audience of the, the difference between evangelical with a capital e and evangelical with a small e in mm-hmm. a sense That's right. mm-hmm. you know you're talking about a denomination that has mm-hmm. used the word evangelical in its title which how do I be charitable here? Maybe I've lost track of what evangelical mm. means. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, that unfortunately, that's the truth. Yeah. And part of the reason I think why it was so, the clincher for us and so compelling was because it really does show us, as John Paul II called it, an adequate anthropology, an adequate mm-hmm. view of the human person, which is quite different from the Lutheran, Martin Luther's view of the human person. And so when we actually understood it, partly through theology of the body and partly through the catechism, just reading the beginning parts of the catechism where it talks about the vocation of the human person, we knew that that was true. And we had had, it was was quite a change for us. I I was sitting in a Tim Hortons coffee shop uh, in Edmonton and, and reading the catechism and, you know, dressed, you know, I used to wear the clerics and so forth, and, you know, I, people thought I was a priest. And, and I was reading about the, the dignity of the human person, and, and it was like scales fell from my eyes. And I, and I saw everybody in that coffee shop in a whole new light. You know, you know as, as, a, as an Orthodox Lutheran, you know, basically you scratch deep enough on, a, on any person and you're going to find... Well, something not too nice, but <laughs> right. but in 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 the Catholic understanding, you scratch deep enough, and even if they have forgotten, and there's gold inside mm-hmm. of us because the Imago Dei, the image of God, hasn't been eradicated; mm-hmm. it's still there. And um, like I said, it, in evangelical Protestantisms, your understanding of what the Oma- uh, the image of God, the Imago Dei, mm-hmm. what extent exists within the person after the fall, uh, ranges from complete depravity, mm-hmm. Luther and Calvin, to even those on the full other side, um, which would be the um, uh, 
uh, Unitarians, mm-hmm. uh, where people are basically good. They just need to be mm-hmm. told how good they are. Uh, mm-hmm. The only problem with evangelization is not sin. It's just that God loves them and they don't know it. I mean, that's mm-hmm. the complete expanse out uh, that's that's out there. And so John Paul was such a, a wonderful gift, not just to our church, but to the evangelical world because it shows the, the Catholic commitment to Scripture. Mm-hmm. And all of his encyclicals were Bible studies. Yeah. Given that, let's ex- move into our scriptures. Um, and we have three different scriptures you've chosen, radically different topics, but all you know, unique to the journey to the church. Mm-hmm. You want to begin with the Colossians passage? Yeah, let's begin sure. with that. All right. Let me read that again and then uh, maybe tell us why you, you, you chose, why this one was such a startling, and maybe mm-hmm. it's obvious, but let me read it. Colossians one twenty four. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I complete what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Uh, The one reason I picked that verse uh, is that suffering has played a big part in our life, and in fact, part of the draw to the church. Uh, In the summer of 2003, uh, I started to manifest symptoms of what has proven to be a long-term chronic problem with pain. Uh, It's uh, pelvic floor pain. It's like TMJ, you know, which is tight spasmodic spasmodic muscles in the jaw, but this is in the pelvic floor. And so it's miserable. And when it first started to arise, uh, you know, we thought we had uh, we thought I had cancer, and it was a very terrifying time, really. <laughs> and, and, and so... There was that, and there was also... There oh, were a couple other things going on. It was quite a, a, a dark, sad time for us. We had made a bad investment at the advice of some good friends of ours. Uh-huh. And, and, so we, and we didn't know if we'd be able to get the money out. We had borrowed some money to do it, which was out of character for us. So we and, had it, and it actually turned out to be... Fear. A- Ponzi scam. So it was really oh, bad. It was scary. And, and we'd, we'd always been very good with, and responsible with money. But So that was petrifying. And then um, for the first time in my life, I really had a very, very tough relationship with someone close to me um, that I, it felt like a divorce. And I'd never... It wasn't I, I me. No, no, no. It wasn't anyone really. I, but it was someone still quite close. And, yep. and couldn't figure out what was going on. And I was trying so hard to try and figure out how I could get out of that. And so we had these three things that were just really, uh, things were going well at the parish, but it was a very dark time in trying to figure out, God, what are you trying to do? And why are none of these things becoming resolved? And kind of in the midst of that, that's when uh, actually we, uh, I was, uh, we had already started reading some Catholic books uh, previously Paul was involved in a, in a ministerium that was kind of Catholic-leaning with Lutheran pastors. And so we'd already done some Catholic reading, but in the midst of that, that's when I saw a brochure. I was taking a night class at the Catholic college nearby. It's called Newman Theological College. And I saw this brochure for Theology of the Body, Christopher West coming to town. Uh-huh. So it was kind of in the midst of all that suffering that this bright light shone through. Yeah, it was like, I mean, we heard that, and it was like a beacon of hope in the midst of our darkness. So, so the suffering has, has, has played a part in drawing us to the Church, but, but even more in the Lutheran, or let's say even broad, more broadly, the Protestant understanding of, of suffering, it doesn't really in any sense contribute to our salvation, or certainly not to the redemption of the world. And when, when, you, when you look at those words that St. Paul writes to us in Colossians, they're pretty startling, that we complete in our bodies the, you know, Christ's suffering. And, of course, as, as, Protestants, as Protestants, we'd say, wait a minute, you know, um, Jesus, you know, he said on the cross, it is finished, and, and, and the work of our redemption is complete. So there is no... It would appear that there's no place for our suffering uh, in in Christ's redemption, or even our contributions in other ways. As or a Lutheran. yeah, well that's yeah. right. As as a, as a Lutheran, we had we can right. we thought that we had nothing to contribute to our salvation. Well, most Protestants would say, you know, Christ is completed, or He is our one sacrifice. You know, one for all. Yeah. And um, 
What's interesting about the way you describe your experience of suffering is it's a bit like the, a perfect storm in, mm. in that you, you experience all three kinds of suffering, yeah. uh, or three kinds, maybe not mm. all, but one is the completely beyond your control, your illness. Yeah. Number two, you brought it on yourself, mm-hmm. the investment. Yeah. And number three, <laughs> maybe the relationship is the, the, the suffering that's caused from someone else mm-hmm. uh, onto you. And, you know, those are the three. And the danger of how any of us, it seems, deal with suffering is that we can look for other people or places or things to blame mm-hmm. that take our focus away from the suffering and what it what its benefit might be to us. Yeah. Well, and our, our culture is so opposed to suffering, I mean, thinks that it's all bad, and, and we really do seek as a culture pleasure and, and, and to avoid suffering at any cost, and think that it's, you know, I, I, we just try to, we try anything to, we can to avoid it and to alleviate it. And, and I guess what we've been discovering is that God is there in the midst of suffering, and that God uses all things for good. Mm-hmm. And that, in a way, there is gift in suffering. And, and as we've started reading more and more in the past few years uh, different saint stories, we just see this as a common theme, that, that there, there is suffering in each of their lives, and that God uses that suffering to help them grow, to help sanctify them. And, and again, that there can even be some redemptive... Yeah, I mean, honestly... The, the, the notion of redemptive suffering is, is really uh, unique mm-hmm. in Catholic faith. Uh, mm-hmm. be, because, it, you know, any, any Christian, you know, any Protestant, of course, believes that God is with them in their suffering. I mean, otherwise we'd have no hope. But, but the idea that Christ invites us to offer our sacrifice, our, our suffering, to be joined to his unique an infinite sacrifice on the cross, you know, so that as members of his body, as part of his body, that his, his suffering and his redemption on the cross continues today. I mean, it's a, a mind-blowing concept. And, and, and it, in a sense, dignifies, ennobles our suffering and, and, and brings us great hope. And this is why the saints could rejoice in their suffering, and St. Paul could rejoice in in his suffering because it's joined to Christ's suffering and and has you know great value in fact let me uh, for any of the non-catholic listeners who might be thinking that we catholics are just trying to you know where, where do we get this theology from and mm-hmm. and uh, we're just trying to make a good thing out of a bad thing well what we're dealing with is scripture i mean mm-hmm. it says in this verse and paul i'm wondering how you dealt with this as a lutheran pastor yeah. In my flesh, I complete what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body. That is the church. You know, I don't remember dealing with that as a Protestant minister. No, I, I skipped over it. I, I mean, I, you know, I, <laughs> yeah, right. I, I don't know why. I mean, didn't I, even see it. I, I didn't, didn't even see, see it. it. I mean, I read it many times, but I just kind of glossed over it. And I think that's the key. That's what the foundation for redemptive suffering, that's one of the seeds that helps us realize that we are co-redeemers. Mm-hmm. We are co-redeemers. It doesn't take anything away from Christ. No. What it does is it, it shows how much his love is shared. And maybe one other verse from another letter of Paul that points out the uh, another uh, a parallel explicative verse is Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, mm-hmm. where again he deals with the rejoicing issue, mm-hmm. but then he says, in the midst of that, have no anxiety about anything, yeah. but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. And it seems to me, Paul and Carol, that thanksgiving is the key. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah absolutely. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I mean, you had suffering, Paul, that was not your fault. No, mm-hmm. it just came. It's yeah. kind of like the Book of Job, yeah. And then also your investments, which eh, maybe you could have said was your fault. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. you had the relational, which was coming from the outside. Mm-hmm. How do you deal with that? But to what extent does the 
the importance of thanksgiving play in turning those sufferings into rejoicing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it, it, it is, is, is an odd notion that one would give thanks for, you know, from the world's perspective, to give thanks for your suffering. And, uh, I mean, living in gratitude, it really is, is the secret to happiness. We say that to our kids sometimes. So <laughs> the secret to happiness is gratitude, because it's so easy to complain. It's so easy to see what's not right in our lives. And every person on this planet has lots to be grateful for. If you just, I mean, we're living and breathing, and even if you are in extreme pain, there's, there's always some things to be grateful for. And certainly people have different, varying levels of, of suffering in their lives. But, but again... Um, the gratitude, just, uh, this morning on the way to work, we were just talking about, about being grateful and being joyful. Like, I think in a sense, it's almost one of the secrets for joy is to, because we are going to have pain mm-hmm. and we are going to have suffering. But I, I actually was saying, I was saying, you know, we, we live in a very small little house and we really don't have very much money and uh, Paul used to make, well, if he was still in the same job now, he'd be making more more than twice as much as he's making now, (laughs) just being a Lutheran pastor. So, you know, we're not making a lot of money. But so we don't have much money. We live in a really tiny little house. Which we don't own. Which we don't own. Um, Used to have a house. But, um, and and Paul still has his pain. And there's other things that, small things that go wrong. But we've never really had as much joy. So people might look at our lives and kind of think, oh, man, losers. (laughs) But as far as, you know, the American or Canadian dream goes, but it's, um, but we really have had a lot more joy, even in the midst of the suffering. And, 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 and we really believe that that's even a, a key in, in a joyful marriage or a joyful family is to kind of not reject the suffering, but to try to be grateful for the things that are are going well and even you know be grateful that god somehow you're working in my life through this suffering and i'm going to turn it over to you yeah you know even just this morning in my prayer you know i said you know i said lord i don't ask that you take the that you lift the cross from me but that you give me the grace to endure it and end with joy you know uh, because we can't, we can't avoid the cross. St. John Vianney said something like this, that if we run from the cross, it will crush us. Mm-hmm. But if we embrace it, God gives us the grace to carry it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Pope uh, Benedict, when he was still, you know, Father Joseph Ratzinger, back in 1969, <laughs> wrote, if the Church were to accommodate herself to the world in any way, that would entail a turning away from the cross, this would lead not to a renewal of the church, but only to her death. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. and, 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 and the same thing is true for the domestic church, the family. You know, the cross has to be at the center, and for the individual. Well, and that's why throughout the centuries, even though, of course, the Catholic Church believes in the resurrection of Jesus, of course, yet... We've always before the eyes of the people has been the crucifix. Mm -hmm. Those outside the church, anti-Catholics use the crucifix to say, see, there's a, uh, they don't believe in the resurrection. Well, that's absurd. But the point of the cross is just what you said. We've got to remember what he's done for us. And just let's take a break. But before I do that, I want to read another verse, Mm -hmm. Philippians 4.11, which I think we just got to remember. Paul said, not that I complain of want, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Mm. It's a journey. Mm-hmm. He learned. Mm. It didn't happen overnight. It takes a while. It's the grace of the sacraments that empower us, but to which we must respond with our will and choose to follow. Mm-hmm. And in the process, in other words, rejoicing is a choice. Mm-hmm. We may not feel it, but it's a choice. So let's take a break. And what I want you to do, Paul and Carol, is I'm not sure. We're, now we're probably halfway through the program. You decide whether it's First Timothy 3 or First Timothy 4. Okay. And okay. let me know when we come back. Okay. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grota. I'm joined today by Paul and Carol Quist. And you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. 
EWTN.com is online with program information, the latest news, Pope Benedict XVI, plus tools for living the faith like prayers, Catholic Q&A, and other resources. Log on today to EWTN.com. Follow the compelling journey of one man who became a Church of Christ minister and found himself entering the Catholic Church. Bruce Sullivan shares his conversion story in his new book titled Christ in His Fullness. In this book, he communicates a passionate love for Christ and the inexhaustible treasures of grace found in the Catholic Church. Perhaps you too will discover the same riches in the fullness of Christ. To order a copy of this book for yourself or a friend, please visit our website, www.chnetwork.org or call us at 1-800-664-5110. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, joined today by uh, Paul and Carol Quist. Paul was a former Lutheran pastor. Um, you know, we certainly could have taken the entire program dealing with the issue of suffering. Yeah. Paul and Carol, but uh, 1 Timothy 3 or 4? We're going to go with 4. All right. Let me <laughs> read that again to the audience uh, because, well, it's a good one. Actually, it's, a, it's even a controversial verse in there. We'll deal with it in a moment. Verse 7, have nothing to do with godless and silly myths. Train yourself in godliness for a while. Bodily training is of some value. Godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. All right, which of you two got nailed with this verse? <laughs> <laughs> um, that me more, I would say. That, um, you know, the toiling and striving just didn't fit into my Lutheran anthropology. Mm -hmm. and, and for so long I struggled trying to figure out, as a Lutheran, trying to figure out where does human responsibility fit in? Because I think a lot of people in the pew don't, maybe don't recognize that Luther taught what he taught, um, that really it's our works that uh, we contribute nothing. I mean, I think a lot of people just naturally do strive for holiness. Um, and but but I knew, you know, I did know Luther's teachings. I was taking yep. some classes a lot. Well, both of us went to um, Lutheran Bible Institute out in Seattle, and then I took some classes also in Paul was in seminary, and so we knew, you know, kind of the the pure Lutheran teaching. And and so I would even ask people because sometimes I was I was helping with a little section editing uh, uh, the synod section in Canada Lutheran, and. And, and I would even ask when I'd be interviewing people, you know, how does, where does, um, where does human responsibility fit in? How much am I, what am I supposed to do? Because is it all God's work, or am I supposed to do some, or, and I couldn't, I couldn't figure that out. And so this, this toiling and striving, mm -hmm. you know, it, it didn't quite fit in. I remember uh, it was in, in confession that I had an aha moment. I, you know, this, after I'd made my confession, the priest was talking to me. And he, and he just reminded me that, you know, the Christian journey is, is like being in a river. And, you know, and you're in a canoe. And if you paddle, you know, you make progress. But if you don't paddle, you're going to drift mm -hmm. away from the goal. And, and that's when I had the aha moment. Because in the, in the, in the Lutheran Church, you... you you know, we they, they taught that you were put in the kind of the the river of through baptism in the river of God's grace, and it's going to carry you to salvation. Yeah. But in the Catholic understanding, baptism certainly puts you in the river of grace and salvation. But the goal's upstream; it's not downstream; mm -hmm. it's not automatic. And so we cooperate with God. You know, we're given the gifts, the, the canoe and the paddle, but we have to employ these things. Yeah, the only way to to hold tight to Luther and Calvin's view, which has been expanded over the years yeah. to be once saved, always saved, mm -hmm. is to ignore dozens and dozens of scriptures in the mm -hmm. New Testament. That's the only way to do it, to explain yeah. them away. Yeah. 
whereas the Catholic view, which was St. Augustine's view and Thomas Aquinas, and of course it's been the view all along, takes into consideration, you know, it's almost like uh, there was a great writer in the end of the 18th century named Father Gros, and he makes in one of his, he was a Jesuit during the French Revolution, and he makes the comment that all of this focus on salvation can become very self-centered. Mm-hmm. That really the focus should be on the glory of God and holiness, mm. and not on whether we're saved or not. Right. Which is where I think Luther and Calvin got yeah. caught up. Yeah. And I think there is a you know natural law, or just inherently we know that there needs to be some striving. I mean, I, I struggled with that. I what I did because it didn't fit into my spiritual mindset, my theological mindset, um, I, I would read a lot of self-help books. Like, I, I was kind of driven, actually, in a sense, for much of my adult life. I was, I was looking for, I was trying to improve myself, and, and I did it then kind of maybe more by reading secular self-help books or sometimes spiritual self-help books. And, and, and actually being married to a Lutheran pastor way back when um, our kids were little, I heard somebody say something about spiritual direction, and I thought, that's what I need, because even though Paul is my pastor, in a way he can't be my pastor, and I know I need to grow. And so I I did end up, this was a long time ago, back 20 years ago, um, I went to the Faithful Companions of Jesus when Paul was a pastor in Calgary, and I started, that was way back, um, a, a first step towards the Catholic Church. But but it was, it was uh, I had a, a real drive knowing somehow inside me that I needed to get become better and grow, even though it didn't fit into my Lutheran anthropology. That little phrase, train yourself in godliness. Yeah. Put in the context of the rest of the New Testament, as well as the early church fathers and, uh, and the spiritual writers of the church, recognizes that mysterious interaction between the passive work of God in our life changing us and our need to actively row the boat, as you're saying. I mean, so you have the boat and grace happening at the same time. Sometimes it feels like grace has taken you along and you can cruise. Sometimes you feel like you're really, you're trying to row up Niagara Falls, you know, and, <laughs> uh, you know, that's life. That's, that, yeah. that's the issue, but we're very much involved with that. Yeah. And contrast that to the the image that Luther creates in his book, The Bondage of the Will, which he considered his greatest book, that the human person is like a beast that is ridden either by God or by Satan, and, and, and the person has really no choice as to who will be his rider, and that that's worked out or fought out between God and Satan. And, and that leaves all kinds of questions. Well, then why isn't God riding everybody? You know, and, you know, I mean, it, it, it sounds it's a, pretty it's a, close to double predestination. Well, it's a shocking right. image. And, I mean, if you don't believe me, look at the uh, bondage of the will and you'll find it right there. Yeah, but it's interesting about predest- double predestination. You know, you're either saved or not saved. Well, you know, look at verse 10 there, Paul. Yeah. And I'm wondering if you ever dealt with that one as a Lutheran minister, because it says, for to this end we toil and strive because we have our hopes set on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those wow. who believe. Now, wait a second. What do you mean, <laughs> especially those who believe? Wow. You know, <laughs> you know, Marcus, I don't think I'd... Notice that, especially of those who believe till this very moment. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how do you deal with that passage? And again, it's one of those you you you, you know you you jump over, yeah, mm-hmm. and you either uh, throw the grid of predestination on it, yeah. But he's saying in Scripture, the Savior of all men. Mm-hmm. But what do you mean? Why, why not only those who believe? Yeah, well, That's what I mm-hmm. would have yeah, thought. Wow. To me, that speaks of, again, the Catholic understanding of the mystery of God's grace. Mm-hmm. As John Paul II exclaimed in, his, in the, the letter Dominus Jesu, mm-hmm. and that is, we believe as Catholics yeah. that God is the Savior of all men, everyone, yeah. even those that have never heard, you know, mm-hmm. up where you are, the, the, the Huron Indians and the other Indians that were up there that the Jesuit missionaries came to. 
God is their savior too. It doesn't mean everyone is saved. No, but he's savior to all. But if by his mercy, he looks into their heart when they die, having never ever heard the name Jesus, mm-hmm. if they followed their conscience as they responded willfully, working out their their sins in, in, in uh, what's the other verse, you know, fear and trembling. Right. Mm-hmm. If they did that, given what God had given them in their heart, mm-hmm. they are saved through Christ yep. and his church, whether they know it or not. Yep. Mm. Is that how Lutherans taught? <laughs> not as clearly, no. <laughs> you know, it, 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 again, it reminds me of uh, the end of uh, the last battle in, in C.S. Lewis's Chronicles mm-hmm. of Narnia, where there's the one character who uh, has been following the, the god Tash all his life, but with a good will and a good heart. And then he finds in the end that Tash is not the right god. It's, it's a, you know, and, and yet, uh, well, yeah. you know, it's probably too much to unpack all that story right now. But. <laughs> Read the book, right? We want people Read to... Read the book. Good old yeah, C.S. Yeah, books. Yeah, there's yeah. not a one that I wouldn't recommend because they're all... But, but the point being that, I mean, if, if we are to be saved, it is only through Christ. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, that there, but, and that there is some cooperation with grace involved. And, and that was a concept that was really, um, I, I guess when I started being, as I start, when we started reading Catholic theology, and I remember we were with a group of other Lutheran pastors and, and their spouses, and we still get together with them sometimes, it's great. But I remember I was starting, we were starting to read some things, and I said, I said, you know, I really like that Catholic concept of cooperation with grace. And it was like they, they all kind of went, whoa, don't go that way. Um, you know, it was like, because that's really, um, it, it's, it's moving away from Lutheranism, obviously. Yeah. And, and I remember one of the professors at the seminary where Paul went, and he was saying there was this, it, it's only, it's all God's grace. And I mean, it is yeah. true in a sense. I mean, even, I remember St. Teresa of Lisieux said, everything is God's grace. Mm-hmm. But but there is this cooperation, and of course the Holy Spirit is even helping us in that cooperation, and, and the sacraments are equipping us to do more cooperation with grace. So in a sense that's true, but that my effort, my will, my practices, my habits, you know, trying to grow in virtue, I mean, I need to cooperate with that. I can't just sit back and expect God to zap me into holiness. Yeah, that's right. Both Lutheran and, and Calvin, which... I share. I was brought up Lutheran for the first, you know, what, 20 years of my life, and then went through a period of Calvinism through the time I was a Protestant minister for the next 20 years of of my life. And both of them are examples of how you interpret Scripture through the lens of your own experience. Mm -hmm. And it gets twisted. And when you find verses don't that don't fit how you understand it, you make them fit, whether they're round pegs into square holes mm-hmm. in, in in both cases. That you know, the, the the verse that I was just had turned to in a moment in Revelations chapter three, where where the the letters are being written to those churches that are all losing what they once had mm-hmm. every single time the message the angel's message is to him who conquers. Mm. That's the victory to him who conquers. Yeah. And you know, how does Luther Calvin explain the conquering? Is it just totally God? Well, wait a second. Yeah. Mm. Then you know, again it takes away all of our responsibility. But anyways, let's take another break. When we come back, maybe we can spend a little bit of time on First Timothy three when we get back. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi. Our guests today are Paul and Carol Quist, and you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. The Coming Home Network International is a non-profit Catholic lay apostolate dedicated to helping Protestant clergy and laity come home to the Catholic Church. It was founded by Marcus Grodi, the host of this program, as well as the Journey Home television program on EWTN. If you are on the journey and interested in learning more about the Coming Home Network International or know someone who's thinking of becoming Catholic, 
please visit our website, www.chnetwork.org, or contact us at 1-800-664-5110. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. Our guests today are Paul and Carol Quist. And the verse we want to look at now is probably the most discussed verse on this program. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because 1 Timothy 3.15 has uh, overturned uh, many apple carts because, uh, as I even felt, and of course Scott Hahn is the one that shared this with me first when we got together after years since we had been in seminary together, this verse that says that if I am delayed, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and bulwark of the truth. As a Lutheran pastor, uh, Lutheran, Lutheran pastor's wife, Carol, did you deal with this verse at all? Again, I, you know, I, like you were mentioning earlier, you just it's just somehow easy to skim over verses. And we have our own map in our heads of yep. of the world or the universe or the theological world. And if it doesn't quite fit, you just don't notice it. So it was through our reading, I believe, or at least for me, it was through the reading and then recognizing, because of course my whole idea of church was quite different um, mm-hmm. as, as a Lutheran than it is now. And, and so as I was coming to know you know, through through various scriptures, what the church means. This was a huge one because I really was a sola scriptura girl, and you know we both had gone to Bible school and and just thought it's all there that everything that we need. Yeah, and of course, then later in seminary, you you recognize that though you 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 claim sola scriptura that the scriptures. The Bible is your sole source, uh, you know, for theology and for morals. That um, there are there's a, a lens you read it through. Yeah. So, it, as a Lutheran uh, theologian, we would say that you know the the source of authority is first Christ Himself, and then the written Word, uh, and then we would say the ecumenical creeds, and then the Book of Concord. Uh, and particularly the Augsburg Confession and the formula of Concord in the Book of Concord. <laughs> and, and so you've got these levels of authority. and you know, Hermeneutic principles. Yeah, and, and to the yep. degree that, that the, the lower levels correctly interpret the higher levels, they're authoritative and reliable. Um, it gets complicated, and if anything, one of the problems with the entire Reformation movement is that it began with a man who was not that systematic. Mm, mm-hmm. That's right. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, Luther, on the one hand, you know, cast aside the authority of the church, so where's the authority? Yeah. And there's that one quote where somebody corners him and says, well, you know, if I tell people this, you know, who do I tell them, what's the, what's the authority? And he says, well, tell them Dr. Luther. Mm-hmm. told you. Well, mm-hmm. so all of a sudden we have a new pope. Exactly. That's right. With Luther and then you have Calvin who you know goes to the other extreme with this lack of systematic and he wants to make it as systematic as possible mm-hmm. and making it as uncatholic as possible. So you have these lenses. And yet here the pillar and bulwark of the truth is described here as the church of the living God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and and of course as, as Lutherans, as Protestants, we would have thought that the Church was, in some sense, beneath the Scriptures. But now, of course, we understand that the, the, the Church is the context out of which the, the Scriptures arose. The Church gave birth to the Scriptures. You know, I mean, I'm talking about the New Testament Scriptures. Uh-huh. Yeah, and, and one of the essays that I wrote when we were doing studies over in Melbourne was I wrote a paper on De Verbum, which is a beautiful document yes. from Vatican, mm-hmm. the Second Vatican Council. And I was drawn to it because, again, you know, we'd gone to Bible school, and, and I know that this is where, I mean, the Scripture is, is so very important, and St. Jerome saying ignorance of Scriptures is ignorance of Christ. And But to read that document um, and to recognize that, you know, in in 
pretty much everything that we were learning about the Catholic Church, it was there was always this, this more, this um, <laughs> more fullness. And here, instead of just sola scriptura, we've got this trinity of of the scriptures and the magisterium and tradition. And and it was just it's just so beautiful that God knows that. I mean, obviously, if there are two of us and we're both reading a passage and I interpret it one way and another person interprets another way, then where's the authority? I mean, who who wins? And and so we need to have something along with scripture. And so here then we've got this tradition of church teaching throughout the millennia, starting with Christ and then the apostles and the early church fathers and on through the all, throughout all these theologians. Um, so we've got that to draw on and to look back on. And then, even if that could be misinterpreted, we actually have a living body here uh-huh. on earth. And we've got the Pope and the bishops all in communion, communion with him. Yeah. And and um, and yeah. so we can turn to them and say, okay, uh, we're, there's this argument about how Scripture is to be interpreted. <laughs> and the buck stops here. All three of the verses together really illustrate that, you know, if, if you take this verse and say that what he means by church here is the local church, the local gathering, or the invisible church, then you have a radically different understanding of this. You go to the First Timothy 4 passage and you can explain away somehow the need for our involvement. The way Luther tried to do, you go back to the Colossians passage and you, and you ignore it or, you see what I'm saying? You, you, Depending on the glasses, you can take all those verses and mean radically different things than just the clear meaning of what they say. Yeah. yeah. Which I'm assuming you're saying that by discovering the Catholic Church, really Scripture opened up more to you than ever before. Absolutely. Definitely, that's for sure. Well, Paul and Carol, thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. You're it's welcome. a joy. It's a delight, even though it's so cold here. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's great to talk with you, Marcus. Well, thank you. Hey, rejoice in your suffering. Right? <laughs> in the coldness of the northern climes. All right. There you go. Well, thank you both. And all of you listening, thank you very much. I hope this was an encouragement to you. Uh, if, if these were verses you never saw before, well, take time to look them up and think about them. How do they fit into the tradition of the church where you worship? Do they make sense? Or does it, do you recognize that apart from the Catholic Church, these verses as well as others can take on almost any meaning you want depending on how you're looking at them. We draw you home to the beauty of the church Christ established. God bless. See you next week.